Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Wednesday edition, the November the 13th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we are doing two things. No, we are not chewing gum and kicking ass. We're breaking down the all 22 from Sunday's win in Indy, about 40 clips in total, and then we're making a hard transition into the game next Sunday against the Buffalo Bills. Joe Marie of Locked On Bills joins us for Crossover Wednesday. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We just went over one million unique page views this year alone. So check that out. Let's go ahead and jump right in. So we're talking about the All-22 from Sunday. I'm not going to give you guys any thrills or gimmicks on this episode. Just talking football. And let's go ahead and jump right in on the offensive play designs. I just finished up watching the film and breaking it down, sending out a million videos for you guys. I think I had about 20 in total just on the offensive side alone. And I keep going back to Chad Chad O'Shea's designs and how consistently he's creating space for guys like Miles Gaskin and Patrick Laird and Clive Walford and Alan Hearns. I mean, we're talking about guys that wouldn't even see the field on just about any other team in the National Football League besides maybe the Bengals and Jets and maybe Washington. And they're getting great opportunities because of the design of Chad O'Shea's offense, who completely outcoached Matt Eberflus on Sunday. And you'll recall Eberflus took the Colts defense from obscurity to top 10 just last season alone. I mean, there are so many examples of this. I showed it in the Twitter thread up on my timeline at Wingfield NFL. And in one of those videos, one of the things I alluded to was Channing Crowder on the Fish Tank podcast talking about his biggest oh crap moment, and I edit that for... PG reasons, but his biggest oh crap moment came when he realized the NFL is a thinking man's game and how every play is designed to set up another play later on in the game. And Chad O'Shea is kind of PhD level in regards to that. Not kind of, he is. His understanding of the field and how to create space into certain aspects of the field is really impressive. They love to get action into the boundary and they do it in a variety of ways. They can put the X receiver over there like Devontae Parker or Preston Williams. They can throw the Y over there like Mike Gesicki or Durham Smythe or Clive Walford. They'll combine the running back and tight end. They'll use three-man route combinations with motion and use both your flanker and your X as well as the running back. They continuously went to work on that side of the field. The short side of the field. Again, the short side is the boundary. The wide side is the field. And they continuously worked on the short side of the field, regardless of what coverage the Colts were playing in this game. If it was man, they would just throw back shoulders, hitches, and curl routes to Devontae Parker because they know 
that his body position and size will prevent the interception every time, and he's probably going to pull about 70% of them down for receptions and first down conversions, throwing into the defender's blind spot once he sets that up. And as for Parker, he's been a smooth route runner this year, man. We said this about Preston Williams, but Devontae Parker, for a tall guy, can really sink his hips into the route and get out of those breaks pretty seamlessly. He's healthy. He looks good. He's having a great year for the Dolphins. So off of that, they find opportunities to create spacing against the zone coverage because early in this game, the Colts went almost exclusively man-free coverage and then they started throwing zone coverages at the Dolphins and they got those indicators for finding out what coverage they're in with pre-snap motion. You see it all game long on the all 22. Find out if the guys chase the motion man across the formation and then you key the safeties. How those safeties rotate will tell you the coverage when you marry that information with the pre-snap motion identifier and it makes for some impressive looking timing throws from Ryan Fitzpatrick Patrick and these receivers so they can win against man and then against zone they'll show another overload into the boundary this time using three receivers over there but then they run crossing routes bringing them back across the formation which leaves Colts defenders covering grass over there and giving Miami the numbers advantage on the play side of the formation really good execution a system that will benefit a quarterback that thrives on anticipation and accuracy which is Tua duh and one that probably doesn't require a bunch of assets at the skill positions like receiver. They do, however, need to lock it up on the offensive line because the inconsistencies start there and mainly on the left side. They got to replace Jamarcus Webb. I don't know how else to say that. He's just been really bad. And I know Julian Davenport's practicing and might come off the IR, but he does not inspire any more confidence for me. Michael Dieter just still is not getting it done in pass protection. Had a rough day in run blocking once again. Daniel Kilgore had a really good game in this one back from injury. Evan Bame did not have a good game at right guard. And Jesse Davis is good for a couple of kill shots on his quarterback seemingly every single week so far this season. Devontae Parker talked about how smooth he was. He should have had a catch for a touchdown that he dropped on a broken play, a third down play design where the Colts had the right call on, but the pass protection finally holds up and Fitzpatrick does well to extend the play and go off script. And he finds Devontae Parker who comes open on leverage, but Parker can't haul it in. They go for it on fourth down and that fourth down play. My goodness, was that wide open to Miles Gaskin. I showed you the video on Twitter. Ryan Fitzpatrick has to put more air under that ball and throw it closer to the pylon to prevent the tip pass at the line of scrimmage, but the opportunities are there for this team across the board. The offensive line's been bad. The receivers are getting open, and I do think that Ryan Fitzpatrick missed a number of throws in this game that could have had a big difference in the total score the Dolphins had and probably put the game away in the fourth quarter. And perhaps my favorite example of that was when Ryan Fitzpatrick had run action on an RPO look and it finally gives him the pass protection he needed in that second half because it was dire in the entire third quarter up until this point. And he pulls the thing out for an RPO throw to Alan Hearns who had nothing but green grass in front of him. They create a wide open passing lane and a wide open run after the catch to the end zone and Fitzpatrick just missed the throw. So the offensive line, the quarterback, even the running backs, their performances were also, I thought, very bad. Bad. mostly Kalen Balage because he's the only one that played significant reps. There's just no imagination to his running style. So the tailback position, the quarterback, the offensive line, that's where you can make your upgrades this offseason. And of course, on the defensive side, I came away encouraged from Miami's plan and structure from the scheme and design. But again, they are just short on bodies. The same is probably true on the other side of the ball. We'll talk about the defensive all 22 here next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. But first... Are you short on your troops when it comes to your performance in the bedroom? 
Listen up, guys. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the US of A, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code MLB to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We spent the entire first segment on the offensive side of the ball when it was the defense that won the game, really. And we pick it right back up with the All-22 review from the Sunday victory in Indianapolis. Go over to my Twitter timeline right now and check out all the video breakdowns. I've got 20 on either side of the ball. And we start on this side of the ball as we did on offense with the game plan. And Flores is doing a really good job of mixing it up with his pressure packages and his coverages on the back end, constantly giving the quarterback new things to think about. And he uses those pressure packages a lot. The Dolphins are 12th in the NFL in the blitzing frequency category, and he usually does it on third down. The key, however, is Miami's ability to reroute at the line of scrimmage, that's basically pressing, and fill the vacated areas by sliding their coverage over appropriately. Most of the pass rush comes through games, stunts, slants, and twists, and the high motor guys like Vince Beagle, who is just playing out of his mind right now. But then you have cornerbacks like Ryan Lewis and Ken Crawley, who just got here, by the way, Nick Needham. These guys are playing with so much confidence because the scheme empowers them to do so. They can play aggressive and physical as they work in trail technique and don't have to worry about getting beat over the top because that funnels right into their help. As for the individuals, another massive, massive hat tip to Vince Beagle. Get to the video thread and check out the play where he spills out a dummy split zone. And split zone is just a counteraction for outside zone. You use it by bringing the tight end across the formation where he blocks the backside edge and it creates a big gap for the running back. They tried this on him, but they wanted to deke the block and send Jack Doyle out into the flat. But Vince Beagle was having none of it. He completely jacks up Jack Doyle. Then he chases Brian Hoyle across the entire damn field to get a fourth down stop on fourth and two just short of the sticks he is playing really 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 well both as a pass rusher and both winning as a pure pass rusher as well as stunting and bull rushing within the scheme but also in defeating blocks as an edge run defender he was an absolute gem of a find and that's Rayquan McMillan's job every single week beating blocks and defending the edge as a run defender he does it so well just working downhill and drilling the pulling guards that try to come in his way or guys that try to climb to the second level when he's a stack backer off the football he is a violent mfer and it's a lot of fun to watch for a fan of throwback style of football and so is devon godshaw there are plenty of reps where this guy's initial punch just resets the guy across from him he makes so many plays that free up other guys in the league but he's also making a lot of tackles in fact 
He was on a very impressive list we saw the other day. Since 2017, Devon Godshaw is 8th among NFL defensive tackles in tackles with 121. Over that time, he's got more than Geno Atkins and Dominican Sue, Gerald McCoy, Fletcher Cox, and Kwan Short, and just 9 fewer than Aaron Donald. He's a very good 2-down defensive tackle in this defense. John Jenkins is still doing his rotational work in dominant fashion. He's in the backfield all the time. And Charles Harris made some big plays in limited action on Sunday as well. Taco, Taco Charlton really doesn't wow me a whole lot. I think his position needs to be upgraded and he needs to be relegated into more of rotational work because right now he's the leading snap getter among defensive linemen since he got here and he just has those sacks which have largely been cleanup sacks and that's pretty much all he's doing as a pass rusher. He's not wowing really in any fashion. Jerome Baker on the linebacker position, he continues to just get better every single week. He's doing a great job right now of splitting blocks, whether it's with speed as a blitzer or working against the running game or by getting skinny and getting through those tight gaps. He's also scraping better off the edge on run plays and pulling his trigger faster. And he's been asked to do a whole lot in coverage. And I think some of his struggles might've just come from the magnitude of the role they had him playing. And it looks like he's getting better in that area and taking to that ex- expanded role this year better each week. I think he'll be just fine in this defense going forward. In the defensive backfield, Bobby McCain was terrific in this game. His instincts to close as the center fielder are really, really on point. He has the good range to do it, and he finally got rewarded with that interception going over the top on a slot fade to Eric Ebron. And Nick Needham was also very good in this game, but you all knew that. I shared a video bragging about his footwork on a slot fade in the first half. Go check that out. Very good technique and very good feet from the youngster. Ryan Lewis had a good game. He is pretty darn good in that trail technique we talked about. Jamal Wilt had a fantastic pass breakup on a third down and goal where he took the point man in a bunch set. He had a two-way go, and that means you have two options inside, outside, and he stayed on top of the route and broke to knock the ball down right at the last minute. Very good play to force a field goal. And Eric Rowe is playing the exact same role they had Minka Fitzpatrick playing, and he's not bitching about it, and he's executing. He's been involved all over the field, and this was his very best game of the season, if you ask me. I'm so, so impressed by how this team is competing, even more so after watching the tape. Guys, we are in such good hands with this coaching staff, and it's not some farcical season that popped up or rather was propped up by an easy schedule or a gimmick wildcat offense, of course referring to 2008 and 2016. They're playing football that will translate into the future success of this team, and they'll be better going forward once the personnel improves. It's been a lot of fun to watch and evaluate, and with that, let's now go ahead and transition into next week as we are officially on to Buffalo, and we are on to Crossover Wednesday. And joining the podcast now is the host of Locked on Bills. He is Joe Marino. We just talked to him a month ago, but he's back for Dolphins and Bills Part 2. Joe, what's up, man? Hey, Travis. Good, good to be back on with you. And uh, that game was a little tighter than maybe we thought uh, when we hung up the podcast recording last time. Yeah, that was kind of the turning point in the Dolphins' season, I think. The game before that, they lost by a point, but that was against the hopeless Washington football team. And, and now they come back with really inspiring performances against Buffalo and Pittsburgh and then two wins against the Jets and Colts. And now we're going to do it again down in Miami. And the first question I have for you, Joe, is, is really just in, in relation to the Bills' current standing in the AFC hierarchy and especially in the AFC East because this is something as a Dolphins fan that I have kind of 
come to grips with, I suppose, or had to deal with over the last couple of decades. Like you're in a great position to make a playoff push, but how do you really perceive this team where you have elites like Baltimore and New England and Kansas City that can probably do as they please with a team like Buffalo in the postseason? Is 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 there any diminished feeling to a six and three record knowing that you have a daunting task ahead of you if you get to January? Well, I think for, for me personally, it's it's been a lot of discussion about how the Bills have taken advantage of a, a soft schedule, and, and they're not necessarily the football team their record indicates, to which I say I'm glad there's some challenging games on the schedule coming up against Baltimore, against Pittsburgh, against New England, uh, that they'll define themselves. And it's not about defending the perception of the team or arguing if they're as good as the record is or, or if the criticism is warranted, it's okay. Now it's right in front of you. Play it out. Let's see what happens. The, the team will answer that question for us, and it's not for anyone to defend. The team will reveal it on the field. And I, I think there's a lot to be excited about with this football team and how it's improved from last year. But I think so far we've learned that they're an inconsistent football team, but also a promising football team, one that you do have questions about because – they haven't been consistent, and when they've played better opponents in Philadelphia and New England, they weren't able to uh, really compete uh, to the way you would hope in those games. I know it was a tight loss to New England, but Philadelphia was an embarrassing performance. And so there's a lot of questions about how good this team actually is, uh, but the growth has been notable, and they have the opportunity to, to shape those narratives the rest of the way by controlling what they can control by going out and playing on the field at a level that will convince the pundits and, of course, uh, convince the win column that they're worthy of a playoff spot and see what happens. And two words you use there really transition well to our next topic. You talked about promise and consistency, and that's where we go into Josh Allen and his progression because I think I just saw a stat that compared his recent five games to his first five games, and there's almost no growth from a statistical standpoint. I want to get your feelings about where he's at in terms of his development as a passer and really what would have to happen for the Bills to move off the Josh Allen idea. Like, is he on that track? Are we going to keep developing him? Just get kind of tell me about Josh Allen's progression to this point. Well, I know that the statistic that you're referring to, and I would disagree with you in that there's been no growth. I think there's been major growth in terms of not turning the football over in touchdown passes where there was a very stark difference in how the last five games have went compared to the first four games and growth in those areas. Uh, maybe just a little bit less in terms of passing yards per game. And I think that's kind of been the trade-off has been, hey, less risk with the football, more consistency. Uh, and, and that's been very good. I think when you look across Josh Allen's entire career to this point, it's been nothing but upward growth, especially when you consider the player he was coming out of Wyoming and the circumstances of the 2018 Buffalo Bills. His first six games in the league were an absolute disaster. Everything I feared he could be based on his inconsistent tape at Wyoming. Then we saw, uh, after he came back from the elbow injury in 2018, a much improved player that had a lot of promise going into the season. And then in the first four games in 2019, you saw a player that uh, was a bit aggressive but did some big things in critical moments in the fourth quarter, leading some come-behind victories. And uh, But at the same time, it was overlooked by some uh, sloppy ball handling. And now this last five games has been a very efficient Josh Allen, a guy that going into the Cleveland game had a, a nearly 100 passer rating over his previous four starts and somebody who's scoring more touchdowns in terms of throwing touchdowns and rushing touchdowns and turning over the football less. Now, the, the trade-off has been that he's not been uh, a true gun 
gunslinger, and they've they've somewhat, I don't know, quote-unquote neutered him by really forcing him to not take those aggressive risks, which have turned into turnover-worthy situations, but it's come at the uh, at the benefit uh, to the benefit of, of less turnover. So a more efficient Josh Allen has revealed himself, and uh, he's got plenty of room for growth, but uh, I think the, the good thing is that growth has been all we've seen since he started in the NFL, and uh, the challenge for people with Josh Allen is th- there's a lot of uh, people that didn't like him going into the league, and so they were looking for reasons to confirm why they didn't like him, but also that he doesn't win. He doesn't. He's not the traditional quarterback. He doesn't give you the Drew Brees stat lines, or he or the Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers stat lines. He gives you uh, stat lines that you have to take into effect the type of physical talent he is and how he impacts the game. I'm not sitting here saying I'm convinced that Josh Allen is going to be a plus starter in the league or that he's absolutely the answer for the bills. I think that there's just a a level headedness that needs to be uh, approached to the situation, given how raw he is uh, coming out of Wyoming, the growth that he's illustrated, the narratives that have always followed him. And then what the game film has actually revealed over almost 20 starts now. I just pulled that stat back up and I I apologize about that because I misread it completely. I think you, like you mentioned, be people being conditioned to hate on Josh Allen. I think I'm conditioned to read negative press on Josh Allen, so I just assumed it was bad anyway. So my bad there. We're going to come back on the other side here with Joe Marino of the Lockdown Bills podcast. But first, I want to tell you guys about Away. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on during checkout. Also, if you guys are stuck at the office or maybe you had a long day at school and you want to treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurant come to you, you got to check out DoorDash. Your sweatpants are on for the day, but you're sick of microwave leftovers and frozen pizza. Enter DoorDash restaurant quality food with a living room dress code. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered right to you wherever you are. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities, so you might find a new favorite too. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national chains like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked on. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code Locked On. Don't forget, that's promo code Locked On for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. I've got Joe Marino here, the host of the Lockdown Bills podcast and one of the senior draft analysts over at the Draft Network. We always have to ask Joe draft questions when he comes on the podcast. But first, I want to ask you this, Joe, to kind of put your opposition scouting hat on here and tell me how you perceive this Dolphins team on Sunday. You mentioned it in the earlier segment that the Dolphins damn near picked off the Bills in that first game. As an opposing fan or opposing team, how do you view this Dolphins team, and what's the what are the biggest areas that can concern you as a Bills fan? Well, I, I think going into the, the initial game on Friday, uh, uh, the Friday podcast that I did beforehand, I, I talked about some of the things that made me concerned about the Miami game. And I think they wound up being true in the game. First was Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, this is a guy that um, if you wanted to win zero games, this wasn't the quarterback to, uh, <laughs> to hit your wagon to for the season. He's, he's going to have moments 
where uh, he uh, elevates the players around him and finds ways to gut out wins. And you start to start to see that here in Miami once he's become more familiar with the players around him and the playbook and those types of things. And so uh, to me, Ryan Fitzpatrick's never going to be anyone's preferred starter, but he's a dangerous quarterback to face uh, because he does have those, those gamer moments. And uh, quite honestly, he's overcome bad supporting cast his entire career. And so to me, he makes every time Ryan Fitzpatrick's the opposing quarterback, as weird as it sounds, he makes it a dangerous uh, task. And the other thing that I thought was a big uh, thing that could narrow the gap between the Bills and Dolphins that I think proved to be true last time and could be true again this time is Brian Force. Brian Force is a guy that's game planned with Bill Belichick for 15 years. Uh, that same defensive uh, mastermind that we saw in Miami uh, or in New England now resides in Miami. And specifically, uh, this is a, a player, a coach now in, in Brian Forrest that has game plans specifically against Josh Allen, both as a head coach and as uh, a defensive assistant with Bill Belichick. And so uh, those are things that I think are important in terms of uh, giving Josh Allen the most challenging uh, looks that, play to his weaknesses. And, and so I thought that happened at times in the first uh, first game. And now the Bills made some good adjustments throughout the course of the game and made some big plays defensively to, to really avoid the Bills letdown uh, game there. But those are the things that make me nervous. And you've got a football team with with everyone's backs against their wall. Like you mentioned, guys that maybe aren't necessarily uh, on NFL rosters if Miami isn't in the condition that they are right now. These are guys that are scratching like hell for their football careers. And so I think there's just just all of those things working together makes it a dangerous team, although they're you know lacking talent and and certainly aren't a very successful team in terms of record here this year with the two and seven mark. And they certainly played like a team that has nothing to lose. You guys saw it up on Buffalo, a fake field goal on fourth yeah. down inside the five yard line. They've been running those things, fake punts and fake field goals all year long. It's been entertaining to say the least. Before I let you go, Joe, here, I got to ask you a question about the draft. Let's go ahead and assume in a hypothetical scenario that Miami wins three or four games total and they find them themselves on the verge of the top five and they can't get Tua and they can't get Joe Burrow if they don't go after the quarterback position who would you pencil in for them in that top five or six round range or six top six of the draft I should say and then give me a couple more names we can fill out the roster with in the back end of the first round with the Pittsburgh and Houston pick if you can yeah well I guess the the the, the good but bad news with picking maybe five or six is that if two of the picks beforehand are quarterbacks Burrow and Tua, it's going to put push down some premium talent, right? I mean, I don't know if Chase Young gets to the five six range, uh, but you know maybe an offensive tackle like a Tristan Wirfs or an Andrew Thomas could could be a solution there. Maybe a really dynamic defensive playmaker like an Isaiah Simmons uh, is somebody you look at, or Jeffrey Akuda as a true. Uh, number one corner, a guy that you could put him with Xavier Howard and have a really exciting pair. Uh, so, yeah, it comes down or maybe even a, an offensive playmaker, a guy like a Jerry Judy from Alabama. So that way, when you have your your quarterback, you have a dynamic talent to pair him with is in terms of a weapon in the passing game. So you got to got to have just not to let that ball board fall to you. Um, if there's no chance to move up. And then, you know, I think it's going to be plenty of opportunities to improve the team because they're in a true position to take the best player available and not have to reach for needs because, let's be honest, everything's a need. So you can you can prioritize premium players at premier you know, positions that can really move the needle with the football team. Uh, you can see if you like one of the quarterbacks in the middle of the first round. Uh, you can go get 
what you didn't get with that first pick. And I think you got to prioritize pass rushers, offensive linemen, offensive playmakers. And so you kind of just look at those each and every time you come up with those premium picks, fill out the depth of the roster and start to start really changing the narrative here with some good young football players in Miami. A couple of quick follows for you here on the offensive line. Tristan Wurst and Andrew Thomas, I think, are pretty universally the top two offensive linemen in this class. Would you agree with that? Well, I think Jedrick Wills from Alabama deserves some uh, discussion here as well. I, I think that uh, those are the top three. And I mean, you might be able to convince me any one of those top those guys could be number one. Yeah. And does, does Tristan Wirf's value kind of increase because of the fact that he's played both right and left tackle at all? Yeah, I think you like that, especially uh, if, you know, with the possibility of adding a left-handed quarterback like Tua, right? You, you'd like to be able to say your best pass-blocking offensive lineman is your right tackle if that's the, the, the situation there. So uh, his versatility to play both sides uh, matters a ton, his mobility, his power. I mean, he, he, he's got the highest ceiling of all these offensive tackles. So uh, I could be convinced he's the top guy, and I think a lot of draft analysts that I, I respect have already put him in that spot. Great stuff, as always, Joe. This is the last time I'll talk to you in season, but I hope we can get you on for some draft content in the future. Joe Marino, Locked On Bills podcast and one of the main proprietors of the draftnetwork.com. Check out all the work he does. Joe, I appreciate your time, sir. Of course, man. Thanks for talking with me. And away he goes. Man, I could talk to Joe about draft all night long, probably five podcasts throughout a week if I was able to. Maybe we'll do that in the off season. But as for this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Wednesday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another preview edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.